Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Have you ever wondered what God is like, or what Jesus was all about, or how you get saved, and what getting saved means anyway? Well, if you've ever felt embarrassed to ask, please don't. I really want to help you understand our big, amazing God. And a great place to start is a little book that I wrote called The Basics. God, You, Jesus, and Faith. And here's more good news. If you're always on the go and don't have time to read, you can now listen to The Basics as a podcast series. Just search for The Basics with Pastor Mike Novotny wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Do you ever feel small? I don't mean physically small. I'm six foot five, so I don't feel physically small very often. But there are plenty of times where I feel small in terms of significance. When I work really hard on a project and I think that it's gonna make a difference in people's lives, but then it falls flat. Or when I pour a lot of time and energy into a relationship and I think that we're starting to get really close, but then I find out that I don't matter to that person quite as much as they matter to me. Those are things that make me feel small. I'm sure you can relate to that. I'm sure you felt these moments where you feel like just a number, like a face in the crowd, where you wonder, am I significant? Do I matter? God's word has something to say about those moments. It actually has a lot to say, but I want to focus specifically on two ways that God's word answers that question, do I matter? The first comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10. It says, we are God's handiwork. Malcolm Gladwell tells the story of a painting called Vase with Carnations. It's a painting that sat largely ignored in the corner of a storeroom in a museum for decades. Because even though it had the signature of Vincent van Gogh in the corner, nobody believed it was actually authentic. It wasn't quite as polished as his other paintings. It didn't look quite the same. So everyone assumed that it was a forgery. Well, then one day they found out that it actually was painted by Vincent van Gogh himself. And now all of a sudden the value of that painting shot up into the millions. The painting itself hadn't changed at all. It's exactly the same painting it was the day before, but now it was worth infinitely more, not because it was more beautiful or because the brush strokes were better or the colors were more vibrant. It was worth more simply because of the one who painted it. Paul, the writer of that passage from Ephesians chapter 2, says that we are God's handiwork. That means that you are crafted not just by the hands of a famous artist like Vincent van Gogh. You're made by the same hands that placed the stars in the sky. You're made by the same hands that carved the Grand Canyon and that sculpted the Rocky Mountains. God made you with his own hands. And that means that your value couldn't be higher. You matter to God because he made you with his own hands. Jesus tells us that God has every single one of the hairs on your head numbered. That's how closely God pays attention to you. That's how much you matter to him. He cares about even the most insignificant details of your life because of how significant you are to him. 
that's not the only way that God shows us our value, though. One way you can assess the value of something is by who made it. But another way you can assess the value of something is by what someone is willing to pay for it. See, if you took that painting, Vase with Carnations, and you totaled up how much the canvas and the paints and the frame cost, you wouldn't come anywhere near that million-dollar price tag. But that's not how the value of a work of art is assessed. It's not based on how much the total of its parts cost. It's based on what someone is willing to pay for it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, God tells us this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's the price that God was willing to pay for you. He didn't pay a price that can be measured in silver or gold or any other kind of currency. He paid for you with the priceless blood of his own son. That means that your value in God's sight is infinite. So do you matter? Are you significant? I would say so. And so would God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, so often we doubt our worth and our significance. These things in our lives come up and they make us feel small and insignificant, but you show us in your word that we matter to you because you paid for us with your own son's blood and because you're the one who made us. We ask that you would help us to see our value to you and that you would bring us comfort through that. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, amen. As we talk about significance, one of the first things that we need to figure out is how God measures significance. See, everyone in the world is chasing significance, and yet if you ask 10 different people to give you a defi definition of what a significant life looks like, you'll probably get 10 different answers. We're all chasing significance, and yet we measure significance on different scales. It kind of reminds me of this scene from the TV show, The Office, where the manager, Michael, takes his employees on a corporate retreat. And what you find out and what the employees soon find out is that this corporate retreat is a thinly veiled competition to determine who the next manager of the branch will be. And so there's this point during the episode where Michael calls to his secretary, Pam, whom he's forced to take notes for this whole thing. And he asks her, Pam, who's ahead in points? And she says, I'm not really sure. I think it's tied. At various times, you've given Jim 10 points. You've given Dwight a gold star and you've given Stanley a thumbs up. And I'm not really sure how to compare those units. See, this is a little bit like the problem that we run into when we try to chase significance. If you ask different people, some people will say that significance means you have success in your career. Other people will say it's success in your family life or in the, the deeper things in life that give it meaning and purpose. Just one example of this is if you ask people what's more significant, to spend less time at work and more time at home with your family, or to spend more time at work so that you can spend more time with your family and better provide for them in the future. 
If you ask people that question, you're probably going to get a lot of different answers. And so this is the problem that we run into, is that we don't find those answers in the Bible. God never tells us exactly how many hours per week we should be working. He doesn't tell us what is the exact right amount of time to spend with our families or what the right career path for us is. He doesn't tell us how to spend every single second of every day. In some ways, it would be really nice if he did. And yet, what he does tell us is that as we look for significance, it might not always be where we expect. See, he shows us in his word that his way of measuring significance is really the exact opposite of the way the world tends to measure significance. One of the places you see that is in Matthew chapter 5. It's at the very beginning of one of Jesus' most famous sermons called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus starts off by listing all of these people that he considers blessed. He says this, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Those are just three of the examples Jesus gives. And yet I think already from just those three, you can see that the way Jesus values things is completely upside down from the way that we do. I don't think many of us would consider mourning or being poor in spirit or being meek something that we aspire to. I don't think we would consider those things blessed. And yet Jesus does. His value system is completely different from ours. And that's not something that Jesus only taught. It's also something that he lived. See, Jesus was the son of God. And as the son of God, he possessed every ounce of divine power that was used to create the universe. And yet he didn't take that divine power and use it to his own advantage. Instead, he humbled himself. He chose to become meek and lowly and walk with us here on earth. To, to live in our place and to die the death that we deserve. Jesus' great act of humility is the reason that even though we may be poor in spirit now, we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. He's the reason that even if we mourn now, we will be comforted. He's the reason that even if we are meek and lowly, we'll inherit the earth. So whatever it is you choose to do with your life, know that in Jesus, you are already significant. And that just goes to show you how backwards and upside down God's way of measuring significance is, at least by the world's standards. Because the most significant thing about you isn't anything you did at all. It's what Jesus did for you. Through him, you are blessed. Through him, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Through him, you will be comforted. Through him, you will inherit the earth. And through him, you are significant. Right here and right now. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, every one of us wants to be significant. It's a desire that you have put in our hearts we ask that you would help us to find our significance, not in the things that we do, 
but in what you did for us. Help the, the truth that we are significant in you to give us fulfillment and to give us motivation to live every day of our lives for you and for your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen. The other day, my wife and I went for a hike. It was a little bit of a drive, so we stopped for coffee along the way at this little coffee shop in a small town. And when we got our coffees, I noticed that there on the sleeve, there was a little message. It said, on this earth too, and then there was a blank. And that caught me off guard because I hadn't had nearly enough coffee for a question like that. But as I started to sip my coffee and wake up a little bit more, I started to think about how I would fill in that blank. I think you probably know some people who have a solid answer to that question. They're the kind of people that just live with a purpose. They have such clarity of purpose that it, it overflows into everything they do in their life. It's easy for them to get excited about things. They wake up just ready to go to work in the morning. They're just always driven and motivated and passionate. To be honest, I wasn't feeling all that driven or motivated or passionate that day as I looked at that coffee cup sleeve. It was hard for me to think about what I would put in that blank. What am I on this earth to do? Everything I thought about didn't seem significant enough to go in such a significant blank. Am I on this earth to be a pastor? Am I on this earth to be a dad, to be a husband? None of those things seemed significant enough to fill in such a significant blank. So I started to wonder, what am I really on this earth to do? And does the earth even notice that I'm here? Does the earth notice what I do? I started to have a little bit of a crisis right there in the coffee shop. But then I went for my hike and I thought about it a little bit more over the days and weeks ahead. And what I came back to was the passage, Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. There's a lot in that passage that's helpful. First of all, we're God's handiwork. So God made us, and God doesn't do anything by accident. So God made us on purpose. He also made us for a purpose. The passage says that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That means that God created me and he created you with a specific purpose in mind. See, God could have chosen anyone to do the things that you do. He could have chosen anyone to take care of your kids, to teach those students, to study in class, to work at your job. He could have chosen anyone to do any of those things, but he didn't. He chose you. Because there is no one on this earth with the exact same set of gifts and experiences and even struggles as you have. Those experiences and struggles in the past have prepared you for where you are now. And the experiences and the struggles that you have now may be preparing you for where God wants to put you in the future. 
God created you with a specific purpose in mind. You are where you are because God wants to use you to encourage or to build up the people in your life. God made you who you are so that you could fulfill the purpose that he has for you. So that means that even if it seems insignificant, the places you are now, the the things that you're doing, everything has significance. Because God has literally made you for this moment. God has chosen you to be where you are and to do the things that you do. As a Christian, everything we do, whatever it is, is joined with God's saving purpose. We are a part of God's mission to share his love with the world. That is a purpose that's worth getting excited about. That is a purpose that shows you that every single thing you do matters. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it's so easy to get discouraged when we don't see the results we want of the things that we're doing. It's easy to think that what we do doesn't matter, that we are small and insignificant. But you show us in your word that what we do does matter because you've made us specifically for these moments. You've made us for the purpose that you have for us, to do the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. Help us to see that and to see the the meaning and the purpose that you place behind everything we do because it joins us to your saving purpose of sharing your love with the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If someone asked me how to do something significant with their life, you know what would be the first piece of advice I would give them? Think small. See, I think a lot of times when we talk about significance, we think of things like going overseas and doing missionary work in a foreign country or giving a six-figure donation to charity or starting a nonprofit that serves an underserved group of people. Those are the things that we often think of. We think of dreaming big and shooting for the stars and doing these big, splashy things. But what I would tell someone who's trying to do something significant with their life is simply to think small. And I would say that not because there's anything wrong with doing big, splashy things. I would say that because that's what Jesus says many times in his word. There are all kinds of stories of Jesus shining the spotlight, not on people who are doing big things, but on people who are doing small, seemingly insignificant things. One of those stories is in Mark chapter 12. Jesus is watching people at the temple give their offerings, and he sees people come up and put in the modern day equivalent of thousands of dollars. And yet he says nothing. And then this woman comes up, this widow comes and she puts two little pennies into the offering box. And when she does, Jesus calls his disciples over, points them to her and says, this woman has done something significant. This woman has done something pleasing in God's sight. She's put more than all of these other people into the offering today. There's another story in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus tells his disciples as he's sending them out. He says, if anyone gives you a cup of water in my name, that person will not lose their reward. 
I could go on and on with these examples. I'll give you one more. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The examples he gives before that are of giving someone something to eat when they're hungry, something to drink when they're thirsty, clothes when they're in need of clothes, going to visit them when they're sick or in prison. These are the things that Jesus calls our attention to. And I don't know about you, but those things don't seem all that big or splashy to me. In fact, a lot of them seem pretty insignificant. See, you may have never gone overseas and and done missionary work in a foreign country. You may have never given a six-figure donation to charity, but I bet you've given someone some food before. Whether you made it or ordered it from DoorDash, whether it was your kids or your roommate, one of your siblings or your friends, I bet you've done something like that for someone before. It may have seemed, seemed insignificant at the time, but it was significant to Jesus. And here's why. Because it's not actually about the action itself at all. It's about the attitude behind that action. See, Jesus wasn't impressed with the amount of money that that woman put in the offering box. He wasn't impressed that people knew how to pour a cup of water or how to give a meal to someone who was hungry. Jesus was not saying that the way to earn his approval is by doing a bunch of small, nice things for people. What he was saying was that what made those things significant was that they were doing them in his name. See, The funny thing about significance is that the more you chase it, the more it eludes you. If you're trying to earn significance from God, you'll never get there. You'll never do enough. You'll never feel like you are enough. What Jesus shows you is that significance isn't earned, it's given. Significance comes from a heart that knows I was worse than sick or in prison. I was worse than hungry or in need of clothing. I was spiritually dead. I was lost with no hope of finding my way back to God on my own. And when I was, Jesus came and found me. He rescued me through his death and resurrection. And now I have hope. I have forgiveness. I have eternal life because of what he has done for me. And because of what he's done for me, I have significance. See, when we realize that our significance isn't earned, it's given, that produces an attitude in our hearts that wants to thank God any way we possibly can. It's that faith in our hearts, that attitude that makes us want to go out and find anything we can do for another human being as a way of thanking God. And when we do, Jesus tells us that no matter how small that action is, when it's done in his name, it is significant to him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we all want to do something significant. And so often we're kept from doing that by the idea that we have to do something big or flashy. Help us to see the significance of things that the world might consider insignificant. Help us to see that even small things done in your name and with faith in in our hearts are significant to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
When I was a kid, we didn't have cable. We just had the basic channels. And so as we got a little bit older and as we graduated from watching PBS, we started watching this one channel that played reruns of some of the old classics like Matlock or Hawaii Five-0 or The Brady Bunch. And one of the shows I remember watching was The A-Team. And one of the quotes that came up in that show very often, almost every episode, was from the main character, the leader of the A-Team, Hannibal. He would always say at the end of the episode, I love it when a plan comes together. See, what I loved about that show was that they always came up with these intricate plans and they got this group of people together who all had different talents and abilities that they brought to the table and all of them would carry out their different roles in the plan and in the end, the plan would come together and they'd save the day. I'm sure you've seen a movie or a show like this, even if you've never seen The A-Team. Whether it's Mission Impossible or Ocean's Eleven, there are all kinds of these movies and shows out there where different groups of people with different talents and abilities come together around a common goal. There's something beautiful about watching that happen, and that's why Hollywood keeps making movies about it. But I'm sure if you've seen the beginning parts of those movies, or if you've ever been a part of a team like that in real life, you know that it doesn't always come so easily. Things don't always come together as well as they do in the movies. And a lot of times that's because we resent the fact that we don't have the same role in the plan as someone else. We think of certain parts of the plan as more significant than others, and so if we don't get that part of the plan, we start to resent that. The same is true of us as Christians. I'm sure you've noticed that God has not made us all the same. He's given us different talents and abilities. He's given us different roles to play. And this is exactly what happens in our lives as Christians, too. We have this idea that certain gifts or talents are more significant than others. And so if we're not given those gifts or talents, we can start to resent that. We can start to grow envious of the people who have them. We start to think that those talents make them more significant than us or that make us more significant than other people. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God addresses this very thing. He's talking about us as Christians and he uses the metaphor of the body to tell us that we're all made differently, but that's for a purpose. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27, God says this, Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Now, I'm no anatomy expert, but I do know this. If you had an entire body made out of noses or ears or toes, it wouldn't work. Not only would it be incredibly ugly, it also wouldn't be functional at all. And this is part of how God made the body. This is the design of the human body that we have hundreds or maybe thousands. Again, I'm not an anatomy expert. We have all these different parts of the body that each perform different functions and different roles. And that's the way God made it. The same is true of us as Christians, that God has made us all differently. He's given us different roles to play and different functions to carry out. And he did that on purpose. Because there is no one who has the same exact combination of gifts and abilities as you do. God made you that way for a purpose. 
So instead of envying the gifts of someone else or wishing that you had a different role to play in God's plan, thank God for the role and the gifts and the talents that you've been given. Then go out and use those gifts. Go out and carry out your role. Not only that, but you'll realize that you're a part of something truly significant. You're a part of God's plan coming together. God's plan of bringing together a diverse group of people with different talents and abilities from all over the world to each fulfill their role in carrying out the common purpose of sharing his love with the world. I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything more significant than that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you have made us each differently. So often we're tempted to envy the gifts of someone else. Instead of that, help us to thank you for the gifts you have given us. Help us to fulfill the role you've placed us in and to find our unique, significant role in your plan of salvation. Help us to find our significance in the fact that we're a part of your plan coming together to bring your love to the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.